great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With, I'll go. Hello, welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 60. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Doing all right. Good. Doing all right. Today we've got two interviews lined up. First, we'll be speaking with Deidre Skoo and Michael Beach about their Kickstarter project, Flex's Kings. Then Gina and I will be sitting down for a conversation with director Antonio Campos and actor Brady Corbett. He's also the writer on... Their new film, Simon Killer, which hits theaters this Friday. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching, including my thoughts on G.I. Joe Retaliation. And Ooh. finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's go ahead and jump into our first interview of the day and speak with Deidre Skoo and Michael Beach about their Kickstarter project, Flex is Kings. I was thinking maybe you guys could start by telling me just a little bit about what Flex is and maybe where you guys heard of this? Flex is somewhat difficult to describe um, because it combines many elements of street dance. And the Flex dancers like to say that um, it's, it's anything. It's welcoming of all styles. And what it is is, is extreme street dancing. Um, but typically, elements are used to describe flex would be it's it it usually has a narrative component to it so often the dancing is telling a story Mm. um bone breaking is one of the most sensational moves used in flexing and that's bone breaking is a sort of contortion Mm -hmm. where they the dancer bends their arms um in ways that just shouldn't be um done it's it's Beautiful and terrifying all at once. Um, they also do a lot of gliding, pausing, hat tricks, punchlines. And where did you first discover Flex? Did you discover it in Brooklyn? Like, how did you come across this? No, it's funny. I actually, I happened upon it in two, late 2008 at a pretty famous pub in Harlem called St. Nick's Pub. It's kind of known as an artist variety show kind of place and I was there taking photographs and there were poets speaking and bands playing and this dancer came up and and did a dance and it was out of this world and completely different from anything I'd ever seen before so I started talking to him and he told me his name was Storyboard he was from Brooklyn he had just won a thing called King of the Streets Mm -hmm. and um if I wanted to go see more, he could he could steer me that direction. So I started going to what is called Battle Fest and, um, and photographing. And then Mike came along with me one time just to lend a hand. And shortly after that, we decided to start filming because there was so much going on that just couldn't be captured in still photographs. Mm-hmm. So that's how it began. Well, let's let's talk about the movie itself. So the film's called Flex's Kings, and right now you you have a Kickstarter project going, and you also got into Tribeca, and I want to ask you about that in just a minute. But maybe you could just kind of go over uh, what the movie entails. Like, how did you pick the the subjects for the film, and just maybe give an overview of the film itself. We um 
We started by following several dancers. How many, Mike, would you say we were following? I mean, initially it seemed like we had like six or seven people that we were spending a good quality amount of time with. Um, and uh, yeah, just sort of trying to cast a wide net and seeing what people had interesting story trajectories, what people were doing. And that sort of winnowed down to about four people um, for a while. And that's actually, we when we first started cutting the film, we had sort of a completely, uh, we had a, a, another character that we ended up um, having to, to cut out uh, because the story didn't quite fit in with the others. But uh, we decided to sort of center everything around this uh, season of Battle Fest, which is basically four dance competitions every year that culminate in the King of the Streets competition, which is sort of a winner-take-all uh, sort of thing with eliminations. So from the start, we knew that we would probably have the film follow that trajectory, like leading up to that event, and then sort of weave in and out of these uh, these uh, four dancers, three dancers' lives uh, leading up to that. It looks like in, in the film you kind of cover more than just the competition itself. It looks like you really kind of... Uh, explore the the lives of these people and it also looks like you kind of get into how there's kind of this like diy mentality to to this competition and all this stuff and is that how that's going to play out absolutely it was really the most important thing for us in making this film and and the most important message is the community that has formed and is being propelled by this art form that in this case is flexing, is dance. So we, it's, it's really not a competition film. And it's, it's a film that involves dance, but isn't necessarily about dance. It's about this, this community and the fact that they come from a really rough, hard neighborhood. And they, they are themselves putting together this structure and these opportunities. And they're, and they're really going somewhere. There were a few dancers who were on tour with Madonna last year. One mm. of our main subjects in the film is currently on tour with Big Bad University. Mm. And so they're creating their own competitions, their own battles, their own videos. They, they're mentoring each other. The older dancers are, take on younger dancers to, to teach and groom not just how to develop their craft, but how to work professionally. And that's what's what's the most incredible, I think. So do you see this uh, right now? See, I, I don't know. I didn't know too much about this dance form uh, before checking out this project. Do <laughs> you see this, or maybe it's already happening, where it's kind of expanding out and, and really kind of catching on and becoming sort of just the new, like a new dance craze? I wouldn't say it's becoming a craze so much as it's inspiring itself and other regions. So they, through the internet, the dancers are sharing videos and they invite each other to, our Brooklyn dancers invite dancers from Detroit, Memphis, Oakland, LA, Texas even to come and battle them in Brooklyn and and dancers do and they bring their own style and that's really encouraged flexing is is all about your own individual spirit and creativity and style that's what's really heralded the most on this mm -hmm. scene 
So what I think flexing is inspiring is, is people to push themselves to their own, to their greatest potential in their own way. It's not like, oh, do it. It's, it's not a commodified thing. It's not like do this move like he does it because mm-hmm. they flexing is really, um, uh, open about all body types. So, and one of our lead characters is a heavier set fellow and in in any other dance scene he he probably have a harder time or being accepted but because this is flex he creates moves that work for him and his body and he's one of the most inventive dancers on the scene mm-hmm. and he he looks to be like one of the more intriguing characters i'm really interested to see his story in this as well yeah uh, Maybe we can talk about the actual Kickstarter project. So you're uh, right now. You're looking to get uh, twenty thousand dollars, and is this for post production costs? This is for post production costs. So the film is edited, and that's how we were able to be accepted into Tribeca. But getting the film into a place where it can be seen on the screen is a very expensive process and it's something that you really can't cut corners on Mm -hmm. so many things we cannot do ourselves we cannot print it um the way that it needs to be printed to go into the projector and i I mean stuff that's even quite that basic and simple but on the on the grander scale color correction and the sound mix music rights all these things that you know, when you start making a documentary with your friends on the nights and weekends with no money, mm-hmm. you don't think about or you you know, you don't anticipate. We just started making this film because we were so inspired by this scene and we just thought, well, we'll make it happen. And let's talk about some of the incentives. Um, what what maybe are some of the highlights that people can look forward to with uh, backing your project. I mean, I think one of the really popular incentives has been um, Deidre's put, put together a, a photo book um, that she's been she's been shooting these guys, like she said, since 2008. So um, she's putting together uh, both an electronic and a print version of uh, portraits of these different uh, flex dancers. Uh, the DVD, I think, is probably the most popular um, item mm-hmm. that we've had. Uh, you can get a DVD of the film once that is completed. Um, I'm trying to think what. Let me see if I can just, I'm going to open well, it. Well, the one thing that I'm interested in is the hickeys. <laughs> yes, for our sneaker-free yeah. friends. That was really cool. The The creators of hickeys ran a Kickstarter campaign that was successful, uh, I don't know, several months back. And they actually reached out to us um, to uh, to partner up, essentially, like to open up our network um, to their network and vice versa. So they gave us uh, the hickeys. Yeah, they donated. Totally. And they're doing press and... They're um they're gonna profile some flex dancers. They're also a Brooklyn-based company, mm. so it's just a really cool partnership, and we're so grateful for their support and and finding us and and being into this scene and you know wanting to share their product with the dance world where it's going to be very relevant. Right, exactly, and and uh, I think with my pledge, I think I am getting a pack of those, so I'm really excited nice. to. <laughs> Try those out. You won't be sorry. I I have I have a pair, a couple pairs now since I've met with them, and they're so awesome. They look really cool, like on a variety of different kinds of shoes. I would never have anticipated it without 
like just hearing about it. But once you see it, you're like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get those and try those out too. So you guys got into Tribeca. Congratulations. Thank uh, you. Do you have any, do you know when you're, the film's going to be screening for those of you that, uh, those listeners that are going to Tribeca this year? We do. We'll be posting those, those dates on our website and Facebook page um, probably by the end of the week. Okay, so make sure you check out the the Facebook page, and there's links, I believe, in your Kickstarter that that takes you to the Facebook page, right, as well as the website. It, yeah, it should, but it's Facebook.com/slash/FlexusKings. And the uh, the website that's listed here is StreetDanceBrooklyn.com. Correct. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Best of luck with the film. I can't wait to check this out. Film is Flexus Kings. Uh, go to Kickstarter. Donate today. Cool. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Deidre and Michael. And be sure to check out the link to Flex's Kings in the show notes and on filmpulse.net under the Kickstart Sunday link. Next up, Gina and I got a chance to speak with director Antonio Campos and writer-actor Brady Corbett about their upcoming film, Simon Killer, which comes out this Friday. Let's take a listen. Brady, I think we'll start with you. Uh, you're actually the first actor we've ha- we've ever interviewed on the show. We normally just do directors. And uh, I want to thank both of you for um, taking some time to speak with us. Uh, so, Brady, you've, you've worked with some fantastic directors, uh, present company included, of course. And one of your earlier roles was in uh, Michael Haneke's Funny Games, uh, where you played a character that that I think kind of shares some characteristics with your character in Simon Killer, and I was just wondering, like working with Haneke at such an early point in your career, like did that did that kind of shape how you pick roles with your later projects? It, it, it made it, it it made it seem um, um, it made it seem very very possible, very tangible all of a sudden for me to to work. Uh, pretty much solely um, with with people that I uh, had always wanted to work uh, always wanted to work with. I mean, if you told me when I was 13 years old that I would end up uh, working with Michael five years later, I, I, I probably would have laughed in your face. So I mean, it kind of um, I, I felt incredibly fortunate, and I also uh, I felt like his uh, nod of, of, of approval op- opened up a lot of doors for me, obviously than than, than other people. Um, other great people uh, had, you know, similar faith. Um, but but I, w- I had been a big fan of Hanukkah's work. I actually, the first time I met Hanukkah was at a screening of Code Unknown, at a screening of The Egyptian when I, uh, in, in Los Angeles when I was about 12 years old. Um, and so I, I, um, I mean, I, it, it, my experience working with him, it didn't shape my taste, but it, it but it, uh, but, but, it, but it did, you know, shape my career, obviously. The experiences that you have in your younger roles, including funny games and other roles that you've played, they've been uh-huh. very manipulative characters. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering how playing those roles was, was um, expanded or explored in writing the parts for or your, your participation in writing. Stuff. I, did. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I, I can't say that I consciously reflected on, on any of those other roles. Um, you know, um, but, but, but sure, it probably did because I, you know, I, I had, I, I've spent a, 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 a good deal of, of my professional life um, th- uh, thinking about sociopathic behavior. But the thing about yeah. funny games versus this film, I mean, just to, uh, the, the, the biggest difference is that, 
I mean, Funny Games is is is, is a very very um, black satire. I mean, more 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 than anything, and it's not a film that's that's uh, where the character's behavior, particularly of of me and Michael Pitt, is rooted in any kind of reality. We're 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 cartoon characters in that mm -hmm. film. We're scary. Um, so I, the thing about <clears throat> Um, you know, I, I w when I when I was shooting Funny Games, um, I, I was I was I wasn't thinking I, w I wasn't reflecting on on any um, uh, any uh, uh, any any anything from real life at all. It was all just a performance. So the thing with with Simon is that it actually is is derived. Um, I mean, the story has a lot of genre conventions, but but Simon is a character that's based on on a lot of people that I I, I know that I've met, um, people that I've experienced, people that I've read about. So that so that's uh, so, so, so that's that. But um, yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to speak summarily of because I think that you're not wrong in, in noting. Um, a comparison between uh, the, the the two films or the characters. It's just uh, it's just something that didn't occur to me um, uh, when I was making it. Now, okay. uh, going back to the the script, uh, I think it's interesting that uh, both of you guys and, and Madi collaborated on the script. I was wondering if you could um, expand on that a little bit and maybe just talk about the process that you had in creating this script. Um, well, basically, Antonio had had, um, had come to me um, with um, an idea, and the, the summer uh, the summer before we shot Martha Marcy May, um, and he um, and he, he said, you know, I, I, I want to make a film. Um, I've been uh, I've been reading um, a, a, a lot of books by George Simenon recently, and I've read a few books by George Simenon. I've read I've read uh, Red, Red Lights and a couple of Magritte novels, and. Um, and so I, uh, I was familiar with, with what he was uh, referring to, and, and he said, you know, I, I he said I want to the, the characters uh, in in uh, Simonon's stories are, are frequently characters that are burdened by midlife crisis, and he said, you know, I'd love I'd love to do you know have a have a, have a set up a, a similar story of a person's downfall, but have it simultaneously kind of work as a as, as, as a kind of um, coming-of-age story, but, uh, but a very subversive coming-of-age story, a coming-of-age story where somebody comes of age in, 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 in an awful way. Um, and so we, um, uh, Antonio and I spent a lot of time together that summer, and then when we were shooting Martha Marcy, when, when he and I weren't busy, um, we, were, we were working on this and, and, uh, and, and, and talking about um, the, the narrative's potential. And then we've uh, we've got the financing together very quickly thanks to uh, Matt Palmieri, our, our one of our producers, and um, and we went uh, and we went to Paris just a couple of weeks after we, we shot Martha, and we hoped to find initially we we conceived um, the the role as a as a Romanian uh, girl, mm. and we knew that or, we we knew there were a lot of great actresses coming out of the Romanian New Wave because of Christy Puyu and. Uh, uh, Cornelia Pornbuscu and, and a, a lot of the great um, Romanian filmmakers right now, um, and and it, as it turned out, um, you know, we we uh, talked to several girls about the the, the role, and 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 uh, th th there seemed to be um, 
a very negative connotation with with uh, these actresses. Not want they didn't want to play um, a prostitute. It, it, it was something that they'd been offered uh, maybe too much. It was it becomes sort of a cliche for them. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, if you go into these bars, most of these girls are from Eastern Europe or from from Romania. So. Um, we were a little bit at our wit's end, and then our co-producer, um, Melody Rocher, happened to um, have a loose connection to Maddie Diop, um, and who Antonio and I had seen uh, in, in Claire Denise on 35 Shots of Rum. And we, we loved her work, and Melody asked uh, us if we'd like to talk to her about it, and of course we said yes, so Antonio went to meet her. Um, and, and the next day she was on board, uh, and, and, uh, and that was just a few days before shooting. And then at that point, she, uh, Maddie collaborated with us to, to, to really flesh out the rest of, 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 the, of the narrative uh, events. I'd like to talk about some of your framing choices. I noticed that there's a certain kind of implication that occurs through this imposed voyeurism from the way that you frame your shots. And I'm wondering if you can just speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's part of me that uh, the, the, the idea in approaching Simon was always sort of working off of um, sort of working off of the way that Simon saw the world, or some idea of that, and and, and um, also working off the idea that we're trying to find Simon, figure Simon out, and um, you know, the, the, there is something about the camera in this that's always trying to make you an active viewer. Um, you're always trying to find a sub the subject, or you know, uh, we're we're obstructing him in some way, um, and um, and 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 also the the I think the more that you make the audience active, the more that you make them feel like a voyeur, which is good. Mm -hmm. This is what the intention is, and um, and um, you know that maybe it's my problem as a filmmaker, but uh, you know when I'm doing something that's from the original, um, there's part of me that always I can't get over the fact that there's a film camera there, you know, and the camera's a, yeah. as much of a character as as the performers, and um, and that camera has character to it, and uh, it's got a conscious, and um, you know, and uh, part of the way that uh, you're framing things or the way that the camera is moving um, is reflecting that. Um, what it chooses to see, what it choose, where it chooses to go, and that stems from, uh, you know, and, and that's directly linked to the central character that's driving the story. So that's some, 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 in some ways, the way that I'm thinking about things as, as I'm trying to design a shot or a film. I'd just like to ask: at the end of the movie, there's so implicating is obviously. The, the implication of the audience is a great strength of the film, I find. Um, there's also this mysterious event at the ending where w you break the camera to character relationship and we see that Victoria is not actually dead. And I'm just wondering what, what caused you to make that decision. It's like the first time in the film I, I recognize that the camera and the, the character of Simon are, are um, broken. Um, well, that, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting read. I, for us, um, Victoria is dead at the end, and uh, and and that's um, it's something that you know because of the fact the film hasn't ever broken that that language, and because of the fact that at that point we're as far into his head as we can get, and we we know he's unreliable, and we know that he's rewriting um, that history. He's rewriting his own history mm -hmm. in, in the past, and um, 
and it feels uh, in that moment. Uh, I mean, from our perspective, we never we didn't want to see him film with Maddie dead, but as Simon, he doesn't want to leave thinking that, that Victoria is dead, and so he right. brings her back to life in that moment before he comes mm. okay. out out of Paris. And that's kind of what he's done throughout the entire movie. He's he he rewrites, okay. he re-edits, and um, and uh, you know, he, and then he moves on, and so. Sure. That Simon and, and you know the the, the 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 idea behind the title was that there that you know even if you don't think even if that is the way that you feel even the movie there is no question that this man is a killer um, that uh, you know he is capable of killing and that that's sort of where we're building up to this isn't the birth of a serial killer it's really the birth of someone capable of committing murder mm. sure. Well, thank you so much, guys, for the for your time. We'll uh, we'll let you go. Thank you, guys. Very for, busy. For interesting questions, appreciate it very much. Thanks again to Antonio and Brady. Make sure you check out Simon Killer this Friday. Let's go ahead and do some of what we've been watching. It's been a couple weeks. I know people have been asking us about what we, why we got rid of that. We didn't get rid of it. All right. We just we didn't have time. Cool out. We just didn't have time. So. Uh, I, I guess I'll just go ahead and... Well, why don't you start it this week? Let's let's start uh, with you. Okay. Okay. I don't know how far back I have to go. Just... just, just try and, I'll try and highlight some of these. Uh, first of which was Magic Mike. This is from a while ago, but I finally got around to watching this Soderbergh film. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand the fucking point of it at all. <laughs> it was so damn boring and unbelievably predictable. Like, as soon as any single character is introduced you know exactly what's going to happen to them you oh, just know it yeah um and like yeah. i understand that they're strippers but it seemed like 60 percent of this film is just them doing their strip dancing i'm like okay yeah i get it they're strippers but this is adding nothing to the story whatsoever what is the point of all of this like so it. i'm i'm very happy that Soderbergh did not end his end his run of filmmaking with this film i'm glad that he came out with side effects afterwards because this was terrible. I did not enjoy it. I disagree. I liked it quite a bit, but didn't like it at all. I did like the fact that they essentially made Matthew McConaughey play Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed that, and me and my wife were sort of discussing this. It seems like a part of his resurgence. It seems like every film they force him to do <laughs> <laughs> like terrible things like that's his punishment and in magic mike soderbergh wasn't even he didn't even dick around he's like i'm just gonna make you play yourself and what everyone thinks of you and we're just gonna have you do that like everyone thinks of you being naked and playing bongos so guess what that's what you're gonna do in this film and i'm even gonna force you to say all right all right all right <laughs> yeah or as ryan likes to put it all right all right. All, All right. right. <laughs> uh, I also watched The Paperboy, which okay. was a, another huge disappointment. Piss from face. From Daniels. Piss face. And I, what was the point of that scene? Like, as soon as they pop up on the beach, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the pissing scene. Let's see how they tie this in. There was no reason for that scene to exist at all. No. It's just Lee Daniels like, okay, I'm going to get Nicole Kidman to piss on Efron's face. I think it just plays into just kind of the dirtiness of the movie as a whole. I mean, it's a dirty movie. It is a dirty movie. And it's also a complete fucking mess. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. it's just every, like nothing works in this film at all. I mean, they have ridiculous southern accents. 
that seem to just disappear and reappear whenever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Macy Gray and the use of her voiceover is just so confounding. I like I can't wrap my head around it. But, I don't get it. No, I don't either. But it's better than when Efron does it towards the. Oh end. yeah, <laughs> a lot better than Efron. But even the, the scene, and I think when you watched this, we talked about it a little bit. Was when they have this sex scene between Efron mm-hmm. and Kidman, and Macy Gray is doing a voiceover doing that for some odd reason. Yeah, it's but, just I, and what she goes that? and that was the thing. Like, yeah, she how, even made a point to say, like, why am I doing this? Right. Because in the beginning of the movie, they established that she's telling the story to, I, is it like reporters or... Yeah, it's like a report. I don't know if it was like a filmmaker or a reporter well, or wh- something. Whoever. She was telling the story to them. So throughout most of the movie, we're to believe that the voiceover is her addressing these reporters. Then in that scene, she addresses the audience... She addresses us and says, like, oh, I think you've seen enough of that or whatever. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, are you kidding me? What the hell is going on? That's what it's just. It's a mess. It is a fucking mess. I mean, the only good thing that I could get from this movie is I did like the like the look of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that it looked like an old film from that time period. But that's it. Like everything else was just god awful. Just absolutely terrible. I really regretted that I watched that. I'm slightly angry about I'm su- it. I'm surprised. I didn't think you would after, after I what I said about it. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I guess it was like one of those train wreck things. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wanted to see it. And God, I wish I didn't. And then I watched uh, Wrong, Quentin, Quentin Dupio. Uh, this is it's difficult because I liked it. But at the same time, I didn't really like it. I mean, I liked everything that was contained within the film, but I, I feel as though it would be better suited as, like, short films, like a series of short films, you know, sort of done in the way that he's doing wrong cops. It would make more sense. Because it's just, it, essentially, it's just a series of absurd occurrences. And there's really no plot line to the film. And they just, they feel like a series of skits. Just from one skit to the next skit to another skit, and then they sort of tie it together at the end. Yeah, I mean, there's like there's little threads, but there's certainly things that happen that that make no sense whatsoever and are just completely absurd. But I didn't mind that. I I thought I found all of that stuff to be hilarious. If if it was stuff that wasn't funny, it, it might not have worked. But the idea of the fact that it was raining nonstop in his office and I just love how in the boss's office it was not raining and she had a towel rack <laughs> beside the door. <laughs> and I, was, mean, there, I I did enjoy it and I found a lot of the things to be funny and humorous, but I don't know, it would, it seemed slightly taxing to watch like an hour and a half of this. I was perfect. I, I think I think I think I would enjoy it more if it was just like a series of skits or something. I would, like I would series be, of short films. I would be curious to see what you think of um, Rubber, because I bet you probably won't like Rubber either. And, and, and I don't want to say that I didn't like Wrong, because I did enjoy it. I just have a feeling that I would enjoy it more if it was presented in a different way. Well, we'll see what he does with Wrong Cops, and if, if you're curious... Yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah, and 
Make sure you go back and listen to last week's episode where we actually interview Quentin Dupio on this film, and we do talk about Ron Cops a little bit as well as as well as his uh, new movie that's coming out after Ron Cops, which is Reality, a Reality. Yeah, that looks that, that looks very interesting as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I like a lot of the ideas contained within the film. I like what he's doing. I think I just need to see more because this is the only Dupio film I've seen. I didn't see Rubber. I think you should. Um, I'm curious to see his, uh, what's the, uh, Steak was the one yes. before that. I'm curious to see that one too. I have a sweet Mondo poster for Wrong as well. Mm. I do. I like it because, and when we interviewed him, he would, uh, he described the film as a pleasant nightmare, which I think is the perfect description for this yeah. film. It's perfect because it is just like a series of terrible, terrible things happening that are just, completely ruining his life but he he seems okay about it (laughs) (laughs) he's still pretty nice yeah he's a little upset there for a while but and steve little freaks out which is always great any film that involves a steve little freak out yep it's good stuff agreed uh rewatch give me the loot for my review for the site i did the same thing with room 237 um i i much more enjoyed give me the loot second time around Really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed it the first time, but I don't know. I, for some reason, I appreciated it more the second time around. Did you re-rate it? Did you give it a new rating after watching it again? Yeah, I think I bumped it up a little bit. Mm. I think it won't. I think I bumped up to a seven. I can't remember what it, I think it was a six. I mean, I didn't get bumped up a lot, but more of an appreciation for it the second time around. The first time, it was just that you know the dialogue was a little bit taxing and tedious at certain points, and just you know. I mean, I could see slightly obnoxious where you're just like, oh, God, give me a break. Yeah. See, I could see how someone could get bothered by that, depending on their where they're at when they watch it and stuff like that. But like when I saw it, it didn't bother me at all. And I think it it also helped that I've been watching a lot of indie movies recently. And when I watched this, I was doing the same thing. And it felt like it was during the first time I watched it was during the whole indie doubt thing that we had going on where we were watching too many indie movies, which is sort of happening again, but revisiting give me the loot. It was, I did find it to be fresh, mm-hmm. you know, cause we're watching a lot of indie movies right now. And unfortunately a lot of them are very formulaic. It's, it's sort of just the same formula done over and over again. And this one is not. Yeah. And I enjoyed it for that reason. Yeah. So also, like I said, the room 237, that was just more enjoyable the second time around because it was just sat back and laughed my ass off at hmm. certain points. Uh, rewatched Do the Right Thing, which was the right thing to do. I forgot how great that movie was. I love that movie. Fucking amazing. So fucking good. But also at the same time, it makes you wonder a little bit. It's just, it's essentially a neighborhood of people acting like dicks. Yeah. They're just being assholes all day. <laughs> Pretty much. It's just f- fucking ridiculous. You know, with it, the outcome at the end of the film is just all because the guy wants more brothers up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a black restaurant. It's an Italian restaurant. Like, that's going to be your thing bugging out? <laughs> Goodness. But that was definitely enjoyable. Uh, and then I watched After School because I thought I was going to be part of this Campos interview. So I was like, oh, shit, I got to watch this film. And then I found out that I'm not. <laughs> so, I, and I was very excited for this film. 
I mean, it's one of the earliest roles for Ezra Miller. Uh, early role for what's that guy's name? Michael S- Storberg. I don't know how to pronounce that. The lead, the lead uh, character from A Serious Man, the Coen Brothers film. Right. Yeah, and he's also in um, Boardwalk Michael, Empire. And... Yeah, Michael Starberg, I guess, and Jeremy Allen White, who's on uh, Shameless. Shameless. He's lip. He is lip. And Rosemary DeWitt's in it for, like, a second. Yeah. I, that was odd. It was funny because I didn't um, I didn't recognize her. Because if I remember correctly, the scene with her in it is, is kind of like one of those uh, home video camera things. Yeah. And I didn't recognize her. Like, I couldn't see her face, but I recognized her voice. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's definitely Rosemary DeWitt. And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, I knew it. And... And also uh, David Costabaugh oh, yeah. is in this. But again, he plays a teacher where you see pretty much nothing. Like, I I honestly did not know he was in this movie until just looking now. Yeah. No clue. Which brings me to my point. The framing choices in After School, they do not work at all. And it's very annoying. It's a very slow-moving film, which I don't mind slow cinema. But when you're not saying anything for almost the entire duration mm-hmm. and you really have nothing important to say on, you know, the topic that you're supposed to be discussing in your film. Yeah. Oh my God. Just it doesn't work. Yeah. And um, I, I would agree. I think in my letterbox review, I said that the framing works half the time and it's it's an odd choice. And um, we can't really talk about Simon Killer yet, but he he does some of uh, similar framing things with with that movie as well. And we I mean we're talking extreme close-ups. Mm-hmm. Extreme. Like just the top of a person's head while they're talking. Yeah, or or like the back of their head, like they're not even in the shot really. Like 10% of their head is in the shot. That's it. Mhm. Mhm. And I mean it gives it this like unnerving, unsettling feeling to it. And like you said, it 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 works like a quarter of the time. The rest of the film is just extremely annoying, and I just I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. Unfortunately, I wasn't really on board with this movie either. Mostly just due to the, I felt like it was just kind of aimless. Like I got what they were going for. I mean, it was very similar to Haneke's film Benny's video, but <laughs> I didn't like Benny's video. But I thought that it was it kind of worked better, at least. A, little bit yeah and for me it was very predictable like as soon as the and essentially it's just a internet addicted prep school kid played by ezra miller he's he's enrolled in an after school ab club and he has to shoot b-roll so he has to shoot you know outside on the grounds of the campus and in the hallways and stuff and as he's doing that uh, these two i guess seniors Mm -hmm. come out and die of a cocaine overdose where like their cocaine was poisoned or something yeah, like that, was, and he catches it on film, and it's how he deals with it. And you know that there's a little bit extra there. There's something to the story right. that's not told. Yeah, exactly. But you know, you know right away as soon as you see it, you know what happens. Yep. So the whole build up to like the revelation is just it's like I, I don't need it. I already know what happened. I also found that the a lot of the movies is like footage that he is taking for this class and stuff. And I felt like when they changed the aspect ratio 
and went to that. Yes. I, I don't know what what the ratio was, but I felt like it was too much. It was too much. Yeah. Too much of his filming of B roll. I didn't. I didn't need it. It's like I get it. I know what he's doing. So that was a huge disappointment. And then last night I watched all the real girls. David Gordon Green up in this. <laughs> and I was thoroughly disappointed with this film as well. And I was really, I heard so many good things about this film. I was very excited. And it just fell flat for me. Mm. And this is one of those, this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about indie films where it has this like formula to it. And I don't, it, it might have, it might stem from David Gordon Green because he does this constantly where you have a short burst of you know dialogue between two characters and it usually it may add to the storyline or it may not and then right away just cut to like a still landscape shot and then cut to like a factory and then cut back to you know two people talking for a little bit and then cut it's like it's it's getting annoying just because of I'm seeing so many films like this, because Shotgun Stories was the exact same way. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know, it's just getting to me. And it's slightly my fault because I'm watching the same styles of films one after another. Gotta switch it up, man. I know, I do have to switch it up. Something needs to be done here. Watch some docs. Watch some docs. I, I gotta get some docs in there. Maybe get some foreign films. Get some goofball comedies. I, that's why I do need some comedies. I'm dying for a fucking comedy. Well, we haven't had a comedy forever. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about a comedy just when you oh, wrap up. Snap. But yeah, this was uh, all the real girls is um, fuck. What's this? Danny McBride, his first film role. Mm. He plays bust ass. His, his real name's Tracy though, so I'm not sure what's worse, Tracy or bust ass. Mm. But he he's he's enjoyable in this film. And there's, you know, Shea Wiggum's in it, uh, Zoe Deschanel. Paul Schneider. Uh, Paul Schneider, Brandanowitz. Brandanowitz. <laughs> <laughs> Brandanowitz is in this. It's, uh, it just, I mean, I enjoyed it. I just, I don't know if I had my expectations a bit too high. And it's just the, essentially the story of he used to be a womanizer, and now he's interested in his best friend's sister, and he's trying to be a better person, and it, doesn't really work out hmm, okay. slightly enjoyable but i think it again i think it's just because i've been watching so many of these films at the same time so you'd say it's probably a light recommend a light recommend okay. i might revisit it sometime you know down the road i i watched one more and that was for my 10 out of 10 which by the time this airs will be up on this site so i guess i can say it. i rewatched uh john cassavetti's 1974 woman under the influence oh, which yeah. is has to be probably like top ten films of all time, easily. I haven't. I um have not seen that. I that is a high high recommend. About to give that a watch this week. Check that one out, and it's actually the same cinematographer from Timeline, which <laughs> yes. is Zoe Deschanel's father. Oh really? Tied, I tied all wow. three of those fuckers together, man. That is all three of them. Wow, that's impressive. Caleb Deschanel. That's very impressive. And the cinematography in A Woman Under the Influence is fucking outstanding. And that's one of the things that's bothering me because that's, you know, Cassavetes was an independent filmmaker back in the 60s and 70s. And his shit looks leaps and bounds above what people are doing now. And I mean, this guy's doing it with like no financing whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And they look unbelievable. And 
Nowadays, it seems like everything looks the same. All the independent films follow this, like, formula. Need someone to break out. Yeah, I'm sure it'll happen. We'll see. We'll see things change and evolve. Especially with, like, the fact that a lot of the low-budget indie stuff is is done on digital now. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I did did notice that. The the film is just... It just naturally looks better. Yeah, I think that once... Once we get to a place, because you know that it's going to happen, where digital looks the same as film. Like, it'll it'll get there at some point, and uh, when that happens, I think we'll see some changes. Because a lot of these people are using the same types of cameras, you know? They're using, yeah. like, the Reds or the Canons, and it... But we do, I mean, we talked about it slightly last week, where everyone has, like, the same shots. Mm-hmm. Like I talked about, you know, cutting to like a landscape shot or, you know, a static shot of a factory or whatever is in the town. And then you also have the, the framing from behind the character mm-hmm. just showing the back of their head. A lot of, just, I mean, we watch, we watch a whole lot of documentaries and a lot of documentaries nowadays look, look very similar to one another yeah. as well. <clears throat> you got to have a couple of those Phantom HD shots in there where it's in slow-mo, which I love. But it's, it's getting to the point where it's like a little bit of overkill. It's like, this is dial it back a little bit. I'm not tired of it yet, but it, it could get there for me at some point. I don't know. We'll see what happens when, when Hot Talks rolls around. <laughs> we'll yeah. See, we'll see how tired we get. But, all right. Is that it for you? That's it for me. I have a ton of stuff here, so I'm just going to kind of breeze through some things. Um, first, I wanted to mention I saw my very first Pinky Violence movie. Uh, the one that I picked, and this was for Grindhouse Weekly last week, uh, the one I picked was called Zero Woman Red Handcuffs, and this came out in 1974. Um, for my first entry in the whole pinky violence thing, I think this was probably a good pick. Generally, what I read online is this is one of the best ones. It's directed by Yukio Noda. Uh, basically, it's just about this uh, woman cop who ends up killing a... Um, a diplomat for killing a girl and she gets thrown in jail and then they release her because um this politician's daughter gets kidnapped and they kind of do it off the books and say look we want you to go in rescue the girl and kill every single one of them so she's Easy just, so she's just like all right and like her whole thing is like she wears this red uh coat and she has a red gun and she has red these long red handcuffs, and that's obviously where it gets the name. And yeah, it's it's good. It's pretty intense. It's very violent. There's a lot of uh, like sexual abuse happening, a lot of rape. So yeah. it's kind of tough. It's a tough movie, but I think it's it's pretty well shot. It's fairly entertaining as well. So I might at some point pick up another one of these pinky violence movies but um it's not they aren't the type of movies you can watch <laughs> just over and over yeah again. like i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to take a break that's why i watch you, you're gonna yeah you're gonna have to sprinkle those in yeah that's why i watched rock and roll high school for my for my pick this week <laughs> you had to get the hell out of there yeah i needed something light and i'll i also saw graceland which is another very very dark depressing movie that's uh draft house films and we do have the review up and it is now, it, it is, is this a filipino movie right yeah it's filipino 
and it is playing on demand right now so you can you can rent this a uh, very very dark tale um it's one of those movies where you, you kind of really don't know who to root for because it's like you're you're rooting for this guy and then all of a sudden this twist will happen and then you'll kind of be questioning if, if you should have been rooting for him in the first place and it's it's kind of a morality tale yeah uh, basically it's just about uh it's actually kind of similar to uh zero woman it, this the film focuses on this driver for this insanely corrupt politician who's also a pedophile and uh one day Ugh. this driver picks up the politician's daughter and his own daughter from school uh there's a hijack where they kill the politician's daughter immediately and kidnap the driver's daughter and then basically the kidnappers make him do a series of things in order to try to get all this money from the politician uh, it's it's a great movie i mean it's another solid draft house films movie and i definitely recommend checking it out just just know what to expect it's very dark it's a dark one. Yeah. Heavy. One movie that wasn't so dark, or maybe it was kind of dark in a comedic way, is a, a French film I saw called The Suicide Shop. Now, I did. I just saw this on your list. I want to see this film very badly. Yeah, this is a. It's an animated film, two D animated, and it it takes place in a reality where everyone kills themselves. <laughs> like everyone is depressed it's in this very drab depressing city and they people will kill themselves but it's illegal to kill yourself in public so what they have is there's this family that owns a suicide shop that sells different implements to kill yourself with and it's a musical too which which sucks but the music is actually pretty good and it's not nonstop. <clears throat> That's one thing I'd like to point out. That it, it's more like a, a Disney animated film where they, they sprinkle in the, the songs here and there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's added for like a bit of levity since it's about suicide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a kid's movie. Let's let's put it that way. It's gotcha. it's definitely for adults, but it's it's kind of fun. And the, the whole thing is, like, there's this family, they own the suicide shop, they have a kid, and the kid is extremely happy all the time, <laughs> and he's, like, extremely optimistic about everything, and he loves life, and he just loves being alive, and it's just how, like, he doesn't fit in with the family, and they kind of hate him for it. <laughs> now, is this, ki- is this kid Alan? I think that is, yeah. Because that's the the kid that plays him is Casey Monica Klein, who's the highlight of that uh, film from a couple months back, Sister. Yeah, yeah, it's the yes, that is correct. It is him. Uh, so I, I do recommend this. This is yeah, I, I can't wait to see this. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> fun as suicide can be. Yeah, it's about as fun as suicide can be. The animation's really cool. I, I like the animation a lot. It really fits with. <laughs> The, the theme of the movie and solid recommend mm. uh another comedy that i saw is called roller town this is on netflix instant right now this is a it's one of these movies where it's probably not for any but for everybody i think a lot of people would probably hate this movie just because it's one of those kind of goofy parody movies where none of it's serious and a lot of it's pretty stupid um mm-hmm. 
the thing that I liked about it was that there was enough funny dialogue here to make it, it made it made me laugh, and that's really kind of what I base the success on. It, it made me laugh quite a bit. But basically, it's sort of like Wet Hot American Summer or the FP, where it takes place in the '70s. There's this roller disco that is being threatened to uh, close down and be replaced by an arcade video game arcade Mm -hmm. and it's just about this guy who sets out to save his roller disco it's it's just silly and kind of dumb fun i would say yeah yeah and it's it's a short movie it's only like 74 minutes long or something like that so it kind of doesn't overstay its welcome so i would well it's good yeah then i saw phil specter the H- Spectre. The uh, this is the HBO movie uh, with Helen Mirren and Al Pacino. I'll tell you, Al Pacino just needs to do HBO movies. He's the, he's killing it recently in the HBO movies. Yeah, because the last one he did was the um, the Jack Kevorkian one, and yeah. he killed it in that too, and he kills it in this. It's funny because when you see like the regular, because like the Hollywood type movies that. Pacino does he's still doing like action movies and you know Jack and Jill (laughs) yeah it just it seems like he's just making bad decisions movie wise and then but then he does this and he kills it I mean he's so good in this movie and Helen Mirren is always great but uh Jeffrey Tambor is also in it and he does a great job uh the movie itself I did have some issues with but overall I liked it they do this thing a lot in the movie where they show like uh, footage and like interviews and stuff on a TV screen, like a lot. They do it a whole lot, you know, like in mm-hmm. movies where the characters will be sitting in a room and then like something will come on the TV and they'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Like they do that a, a whole lot in this movie, and it it gets it bothers me because it's not like real footage; it's made up footage. Yeah, and. This is directed by David Mamet, and in the beginning of the movie, he says that this is a complete work of fiction. Nothing is, it's not based on true events. Nothing about it is real. <laughs> but if that's the case, then why am I watching it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, while you're saying that, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Like, why? What's the point then? Yeah, and I, I don't. Is there a point to this? And maybe he was just saying that to cover his ass. You know, yeah, it could, I mean, it could be, but it also it seems like that's. I haven't seen the film, obviously, but it seems damaging. You're talking about a real life person here and real life people, and just be like, yeah, I just made all this shit up. Yeah, I mean, they Enjoy. didn't. Enjoy. Yeah, they didn't change the names of anyone. They everything was the same. Like I looked it up, and every they didn't change anybody's name or anything. So I I don't know. It's that that. Part of it is weird, but the movie itself is pretty enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah, I was hearing good things about this. Yeah. HBO rarely fucks up. You no, know, they, they really don't. I, I like pretty much any anything that HBO puts out, documentary, feature, or otherwise. Uh, by the way, Game of Thrones comes back tonight. Oh, boy. Mm, I'm, sad. I'm dying on that one. Dying on that show. Cannot wait. Dying on that show. Losing interest. You shouldn't be. I am. Finally, I saw G.I. Joe Retaliation this weekend. Oh, shit. Talk about being jealous. 
Yeah, well, there is one good thing that this brought about. It it kind of made me interested in rewatching some of the old cartoons, and they have the whole series on Netflix. So I, oh, so, oh yeah. So I went ahead and started watching the old cartoons, and they're great. Nice. But this movie, it is it is better than the first one. Let's put, mm. let's put that out there. Okay. It is better than the first one. However, it's not good. In fact, it's it's horrible. Oh. It's so ridiculous. I don't understand how they got away with making this. Like when they were looking at it on paper, were they like, "This is good. This is good. This is gonna work." Because clearly, it's it's a complete mess. Like there's like three or four different plot lines that are happening all at once, and some of them just feel like completely shoehorned in. Like there's this whole. Storm Shadow, Snake Eyes, Jinx plotline that's happening, which is completely separate from the rest of the movie. And, like, all of a sudden... So, you've seen in the trailers what happens, right? Like, they get ambushed. Everybody dies except for, like, four of them. And all of a sudden, we're, we're in that. We're following them. Then it just cuts to this voiceover with Riza, And he's describing this, like these ninja clans and all this stuff and then we're in this whole different setting whole another world whole another world involving snake eyes storm shadow and jinx and rizza who's like their elder or something and he's horrible and but see the funny thing is that 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 like subplot that side story leads to the best action scene in the movie which is something you see in the trailer at least part of when they're fighting on the side of the mountain on the on the mm. like doing okay. like yeah, yeah. And stuff like all that stuff is pretty cool some of the cg doesn't look very good in that scene but overall that was fun and something different it was just unique and i enjoyed that and i loved all the fights between snake eyes and storm shadow those all looked great great choreography in those fight scenes but the rest of the movie is so horrendous and none, much of it doesn't make any sense. Like the fact that they just, many of the characters from the first one are just absent for no reason. Like they don't explain it. And then like, like Destro, who was the main bad guy in the first one, he's in this, but like he, they just show his eyes and he's like in a tube. He's in like a, this stasis <laughs> chamber or something. And uh, okay. when they mm-hmm. break when they break Cobra Commander out of jail, they're just like, "Sorry, what do you say? Oh, sorry, Cobra, you're or sorry, Destro, you're out of the band." And like that's it, no more Destro. <laughs> and it's like, why did they do that? And like Zartan, who was a big villain, he's in it, but you he's disguised as the president the entire movie, so you don't even that's see it. him as himself you just see him as yeah, the president the whole time it's just jonathan price right like planes are tan pretty much yeah you this see, sounds like a this sounds like a mess it is a it is so bad dude so bad complete complete and utter disaster like and now one question though does james carville kill it or what he's in it for about a second ah uh, does he say something clever not really witty he's like giving a speech and it's pretty dumb uh <laughs> The thing with Channing Tatum, and I remember when we were talking about this uh, last week in, on Ryan Watches Movie, how I was curious to see what they would do and if I'd be able to notice the reshoots or, and the, the added stuff. You, mm-hmm. you notice everything. 
<laughs> like what they do, and it's so dumb. And I was right, by the way. I, I predicted that they were going to kill Channing Tatum in the beginning of the movie, and then people didn't like that, so they were going to add more. And that's exactly yeah. what they did. But what they do before they kill him off, and he dies within like the first 15 minutes of the movie, so it's not a huge spoiler or anything. Like, mm-hmm. um, they add in these completely tacked on and pointless scenes with uh, Channing Tatum and The Rock, like playing video games and joking to each other. Like, they're playing Call of Duty, <laughs> and, and Channing Tatum is like really <laughs> shitty at Call of Duty. And, and then they add in this, this scene where they're trying to. They're trying to shoot a cupcake off of a you like are a plank. Shitting it. Yeah. So they add like this whole bromance. Right, thing exactly. To it. Yep. And it's completely pointless, just like much of the entire movie is pointless because they establish these characters at the beginning of the movie and then kill them off twenty minutes in. So it's like, why did we why did we waste time building the relationship between the rock and Channing Tatum if he's just gonna die? right away yeah and then they never address it again like that's it when they're showing them like playing video games and stuff do they play queens you're my best friend no but they should ah they should they should and it sounds like that it sounds like that was like they're reshooting they're like okay we have dwayne johnson we have channing tatum they're both huge we need more of them together and they're like, well, we can't really come up with anything. i don't care just show them like playing video games or something well yeah that's just pounding around yeah, that's the bites. thing. Like, f- like first scene of the movie, opening scene, it's an action scene, and they're rescuing this Asian guy, and I don't even know who he is or what what the point of it, any of it is. It has nothing to do with the plot of the movie. It's just like this pointless rescue mission that they're on that never comes back. Like they never address it or what it is or anything. Uh, so there's that, and that's what establishes all the characters, and they they make a point to establish this one guy's name's Mouse. And he's like a sniper. It's actually played by the the kid from Jurassic Park, who was in oh, wow. uh, he was in Justified this season and stuff. And they they focus a lot on him, and then he just he just dies. Like they all just die in the in the next scene. So there's like an action scene that's pointless to establish the character. Then there's another action scene where they steal a warhead for some reason. Then they all die, and then <laughs> and then then the real story begins. Then the main plot begins. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i mean it's uh, i don't even understand this how this got made it's so bad but again i will say not as bad as the last one wow it, it, that it means it's the action scenes that really are the only kind of saving grace of this movie is that some of the action uh, scenes are cool specifically the ones involving snake eyes and storm shadow good lord and this that's awful they did get snake eyes's costume right in this one and he doesn't look he doesn't have the f- huge vinyl f- mouth in this one. <laughs> oh god but anyway do not go see gi joe retaliation are you think are you thinking razzies oh yeah oh yeah okay i'm nice it's definite like the girl that plays lady J, she's horrible in this so i could definitely see her getting nominated for a razzie nice it's it's just awful. I have a feeling you know how they always do that like on screen couple. I mean, from what you're telling me, I'm thinking Tatum and Johnson. Oh, that'd be awesome. Tatum, Tatum and the Rock. Yeah, that that would be good. But uh, that's that's it. That's all I saw. I mean, I saw a bunch of other stuff, but uh, I think we can move on. Talk about some predictions. 
Talk about them. Uh, do it. Welcome to the Punch. I don't even. What is this movie? I don't even remember what this is. We don't. We don't know. It's it's so forgettable that I forgot about it before it even existed. I think. What what is it? Is that? I don't. I don't know. I remember. I I still think it's a Statham movie, and I don't think it is. But for oh, whatever that's reason, the one with James McAvoy. Yes. I keep in my head. I keep forgetting in, about that. I don't know, but in my head, it's a Statham movie. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, you said fifty-six. I said fifty. Gina said 41, actual 54 on Welcome to the Park. So apparently it's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, you said 100. <laughs> did I get I, I I nailed it. I know I did. I said 24. Gina said 28, actual 29 on G.I. Oh. Joe. Uh, the Host, you said 46. I said 50. Gina said 48, actual 12 on the host. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, not hearing not hearing too good too uh too good things about that. So Oh my. Temptation. Oh. Tyler Perry's Temptation. You said six. I said fifteen. Gina said sixteen. Actual sixteen. Oh, come on. You know it's funny. Yesterday it was at six. Oh, yep. Sounds bitches. Yep. It was at a six yesterday. Who the fuck like that movie what is wrong with you apparently a lot of people where i live because when i went to see gi joe yesterday there was a ton of people seeing temptation good Lord. i don't know why uh Jeez. the place beyond the pines you said 82 i said 86 gina said 68 actual 73 now i knew this was gonna happen too i knew she was gonna like completely fucking destroy us on everything single one yeah well you thanks a lot gina Ruining the only thing I have in my life. All right, Gina, if you're listening, you're not going to do any more predictions. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, Evil Dead. What are you thinking on Evil Dead? Evil Dead, I'm going to say like 72. Mm, I think that that's a that's a good prediction. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say 73. Ooh, dick. I I really enjoyed this movie. You can read our review uh, up now, and I'm I'll repost it when it comes out next week. Trance, Danny Boyle. Uh, I'm hoping, I am excited for this. Yeah, I, I think that this looks really good. I'm um, I'm hoping that it'll be good. So I'm gonna say like I'm gonna say like 78. Mm, that's what I was thinking. I'm gonna say like a 74. Okay. And finally, the company you keep. I don't know if that's going to be a wide release, but we'll just we'll do it for the heck of it. The company you keep. I'm going to say like a sixty-four. I don't. I don't know too much about this. Like it. It looks okay, but I don't. I don't really know. I'm going to say sixty. Mm, say sixty-six. I mean, it looks slightly interesting, but not enough to get me out there to see it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It looks looks okay. And by the time it comes out on DVD, I'll probably just have forgotten about it. Possibly, yeah. Good possibility. All right, let's go over some DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, April second, twenty thirteen. We have Baytown Outlaws. Skip that, please. <laughs> I thought that that was good. Oh, it's not yeah. good. It's it's something. <laughs> good would not be the word. Mm. John dies gotcha. at the end. With a horrible cover. Have you seen the cover for that? Uh, the, the DVD Blu-ray cover? Like, why couldn't they just use the poster? I don't understand. 
I, I never understand that either. They always come out with such great posters for films, and then when you see their the DVD cover that they use, yeah. you're just like, what the... Who the fuck made that decision? That, uh, they, oh my god, that looks terrible. Doesn't it? You know what it looks like to me? It looks like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy poster. The, the new Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy they made. It looks like they're completely misrepresenting the film. Yeah, they are. Completely. Like, the, the one... I don't understand why they couldn't make... The, the yellow and red poster that they came out with. Like, make that yeah, the cover. That would be awesome. It's perfect. Like, I would even consider buying that, but I'm not buying it because of that horrible cover. Yeah, and they, see, that brings us back to another thing. That, that I don't think they understand the power of design. Like, when you're talking about not making money from Blu-rays and stuff, you, you got to do something. Yeah. And it's just, it's a small thing like this, just a little Put a little bit of thought into the design because, of the Blu-ray. Like honestly, I think that the the majority of Blu-ray buyers nowadays they they do it for collections. Like I think mm-hmm. I really think that the majority of people that buy Blu-rays are collectors. And I don't think they I don't think they realize how much interest that you can create with just a very perfectly designed package. Yeah, like you know how many films I come across and I'm drawn in by the cover or by the poster. Yeah, no, a, a good example was like when we were at South by and they had the uh, the poster gallery. We went there. Oh my god! Yeah, there were there were movies that I had no interest in that were screening there, and after seeing the poster, I was like, yes, I really want to see that now. Yeah, and I, I mean that's how I get interested in half of the criterions that are out there. Yeah. Like, I could care less about these movies until I see the Criterion cover. I'm like, damn, I need to check this out. Yeah, so John Dies at the End, I would recommend renting that, but don't don't buy that. that don't give money for their no. terrible decisions. No. Um, Knuckleball, this is the documentary about the Knuckleball. <laughs> Knuckleballers. I'm actually interested in seeing this. Uh, cause just because there's like not that many Knuckleballers out there. Yeah, it is bizarre that there's like at a given time there's maybe like two knuckleballers yeah i I think that out of all the out of all the baseball pitches and it's weird because in a in a sport where like when you hit 30 like you're old yeah and it seems like knuckleballers they don't get good until they're like 30 like Ari dicky wasn't good until he was like 36 years old yeah i think that that looks interesting so i might check that out I, i did hear uh an interview on um NPR with the with the dude and I thought that that it was pretty interesting so I might check that out then we have stitches this is a <laughs> stitches it's a horror movie uh, I heard a lot of I heard some some pretty good things about this so I might have to check this one out when it comes out on Tuesday so it, it is about a clown yeah it's about a murderous clown I guess it's supposed to be All really clowns are murderous. it's supposed to be pretty gory um, so I, I might give it a watch and see. Uh, and then the only other one I have here is the Sweeney, which I've, that, that came out on video on demand a while back and I just, I had no desire to see it and I still don't. So <laughs> I like, I like I, you made a point to bring it up just to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, one more that I want to add. I have no interest in this film whatsoever. Yep. That's, nice. that's pretty much yeah. it. They uh that's a that's a terrible week of releases there. Do you have any uh do you have any No, there's no there's no criterion that's coming mm-hmm. out. Nothing. Mm. 
It just it looks like everyone gave up this week. Like we're not even gonna try. Yeah, I just looked up the Sweeney and it's got some pretty bad reviews. So looks like I was correct in not caring about that one. <laughs> oh god. All right, I think that that wraps it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email, feedbackfilmpulse.net, or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. From filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I am Kevin. And we will see you on Monday. Wormhole, 3D fax machine.